0: It helps if I put the right password in to unlock my notes, you know. It's passworded to protect my children, of course, from the evils of the internet, you see. Um, Good morning, hi. (laughs) I am Christy, and the music stand, there we go. Disobedient music stand. Um, I am new here, if we haven't met, good morning, hello. My husband and I and our three kids attend here. My husband is Rodrigo, he is a chef, and our kids are Evan and Nathan, and Elena is seven. I said names and ages. Evan is 13, Nathan is 12, Elena is seven. Um, once we found this church here, we dove in pretty quickly, as I think a lot of you did too. You know, that's one of the really special things about this congregation. Um, I was just chatting with someone about this a couple days ago, that, you know, we all are like, choosing to be here. This isn't like just our tradition, and we go we're all really choosing to be a part of this congregation. So it's really special, and I know that you know that already. (laughs) Um, So I teach private music lessons, and I also am a full-time student at Fuller Theological Seminary. I am working on a Master of Divinity degree, and my hope is to become ordained. As part of that process, I will be joining the staff here, actually, for a nine-month apprenticeship starting soon. And um, it's going to be fun. I'm going to be working with Joe, and I'm really hoping to get a chance to meet and get to know a lot more of you. So um, let's dive in, right, as they say. Our topic today and next week is community. My dream for a church community is a place where everyone belongs and is cared for. I'm sure I'm not alone in that. Um, You know, a place where we're passionate about inclusion, more driven to include and welcome and show hospitality than we would be about most anything else. That's my dream. So do I know exactly what steps, right? Is this a steps to get there this morning sermon? No, (laughs) I definitely don't know the steps to take. Um, Instead, I'm hoping to offer us maybe a little bit of a refreshed lens, Uh, maybe some new language that we can use together as we walk through life as followers of Jesus. But I have to be frank, being asked to prepare a sermon on community, it's felt a little bit strange. You know, it's felt a little bit like being asked to prepare a sermon on why we need to drink water. Do you know what I mean? Like we're like, well, yeah, I need that. I need, I need that to stay alive, right? Yeah, we do, we really do. We know that we need community. Uh, there's a reason why solitary confinement is considered such a severe punishment. You know, that's no surprise. We know that we need each other. And we certainly all went through our own personal revelations about community during the last few years, right? In the beginning of the pandemic, um, when we were suddenly in a world without contact, without hugs from friends, where every meeting became a Zoom. Um, You know, And I know that there's been a lot of suffering born from that isolation. Um, And we're not yet out of those woods, right? As we've got some masks on today, we know that we're still working through all that. But knowing that we need each other then is not in itself a revelation. How we shape and order our community though, that's where it gets sticky, right? And that's where I think it's worth a closer look. Um, And so that's what I wanna focus on this morning. I want to examine two points together today. First, I'd like to discuss the idea that we are created for community. And second, that our understanding of God as three in one, Trinity, can offer a lens through which we can order and shape our community in a healthy way. So I wanna begin with a Bible verse that you may have come across or perhaps spent time studying. Genesis 1 it's on the slide. Then God said, let us make humans in our image according to our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the wild animals of the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So this is one of those verses that we have in Scripture which kind of whispers to us of the Trinitarian nature of our God. Of God existing eternally as Father, Son, and Spirit. One God, three persons. Right, look at that again. Let us make humans in our image, according to our likeness. This is the foundation for our declaration that every person was created in the image of God. And where we get that phrase, Imago Dei, too, if you've heard that before. That's what that is. There's a whole other study that could happen here over that word dominion also, but just for the sake of time, maybe trust me a little, it's not supposed to be dominion as in, dominate the way that it unfortunately has been used in the hebrew it's more like keep until keep until cultivate care for help to grow so we learn from this verse that we were made by a community to be a community in order to care for the global community and that's the critical thing that i wanted to pull out from that and you know, the word community, though, is used like a lot. I mean, I've already said it like 50 times, right? Like, we, it's used so much in our world in a variety of settings and not just in church. You know, one might use it to refer to their personal community of friends. Um, it could be used to describe a large community of people who share things in common. Think of the rural community, right? That's geographic commonality. Ideologically, worldview, it's used for LGBTQ plus community, the academic community, you know, jazzercise community, right? So you get the idea, right? It's just, it's everywhere. And so we use this word as a descriptor in front of our local shared services too. We have community college, community library, community pool, as we've talked about. And when we speak about being part of a community, what are we saying? Like, what are we really saying in terms of our commitment level or the relationships we have there? You know, the same word is attached to the library that is used to describe our close-knit friend group. So, can I suggest that perhaps the word has lost a little bit of its potency in this generalized function? And because of the generalized function, I was curious what the people in my world thought of when they considered community. So, I did the only reasonable thing that I know to do, and I conducted a poll on my Facebook page. (laughs) So I asked people to comment in response to the prompt, community requires blank. Community requires blank. So take a moment, consider it. What would you say? There were around a dozen replies and comments, and at least two were from people who I know for sure are not Christians. And what I thought was so interesting about this was that everyone, no matter their beliefs, said the same sort of stuff. The replies included trust, vulnerability, forgiveness, empathy, laughter, action, presence, compassion, grace, communication, diversity, open minds and hearts, listening, safe space to disagree, and active, heartfelt participation. So sure, there's a lot of variety there, right, among the replies, but standing back from it and kind of summarizing what people are saying, there are common threads there, no matter what faith tradition someone is coming from, which is one of those things for me that sort of points towards a proof of our creator. Do you know what I mean? Humans intrinsically have a desire to be together. And it goes deeper than survival. It's more than just a primal sense of forming villages for safety and resources because people are saying community requires trust, action, forgiveness, empathy. Those are issues of the heart, right? That's our mental, emotional health that we are linking with our community. I was sharing my thoughts on this with my sweet mother, who is a social worker. She's LCSW. And across her career, she's worked in every setting a social worker can. And she commented to me that during intake interviews for patients who are seeking mental health care or will be undergoing treatment, there's always a section of questions that kind of address and ask after a person's social supports. In other words their community and this is done because the science shows a higher success rate for treatment as well as a better physiological outcome a better physiological outcome for people who have an established network of support and care our very biology desires and responds to community and you know the art that humanity has created Really refre- reflects this uh, awareness of this need as well. The art we create reveals our deep desires to be known, loved, challenged, transformed, accepted, right? In short, to live in community, meaningful community. Now, As a giant musical theater nerd, my examples here are gonna be from a couple of popular shows, but I'm certain that these themes can be found in every type of art that people create, right? But in particular, I wanted to mention lyrics from a couple of musicals. So from the show, I know it's it's time, everyone. From the show, Wicked, (laughs) I'm sure everyone knows this. In the duet for good, the two leads, Elphaba and Glinda, sing about their tumultuous friendship. They sing of streams encountering boulders and seeds being dropped by skybirds, all to illustrate the immense difference that one can have in the life of another. Their relationship is summarized in the line, because I knew you, I have been changed for good. Getting a little choked up, sorry. Their friendship and their experience with community has been transformational. And that's the sort of friendship that we long for, right? That's evidence of. That's the sort of friendship that, in our lifetime, if we have found that once, we call ourselves blessed. That's what we long for. And from one of my all time favorites, Rent, in the song America, the character Mark is looking back on the last few months of his life with his friends, his chosen family. And he realizes that everything about his right now is because of the experiences they all shared 11 months before on Christmas Eve. As he struggles to find meaning in the midst of grief and apparent chaos, he sings, what was it about that night? Connection in an isolating age. For once, the shadows gave way to light. For once, I didn't disengage. That one night of meaningful connection within their community changes everything for the characters in that story. So I hope my point so far is easy to see. Within the church, we often talk about the value and importance of community and fellowship as we should. But I really wanna underscore, it's not exclusively a Christian thing, it's a human thing. We were created to reflect God's nature crafted, in God's image, God, who eternally exists as a loving community. Our desire for community is an intrinsic facet of our human composition. But the way that our culture has often ordered community has brought us to a modern era marked by oppressive systems and brokenness. Howard Thurman, a black theologian whose influential work is definitely worth your time, he has written that hate is born from contact without fellowship. I'll say it again, contact without fellowship. That's broken community. So this particular writing is from 1949 the Jim Crow era. So he speaks of the ways whites and blacks had contact without fellowship, contributing to the racially-based hatred. He also writes of the employee-employer relationships as a way to further contextualize his argument. Now, the world would say that as long as the employee and employer stay in their respective lanes, do their work, and do not physically harm one another, then all is well, right? That work community is fine. But Thurman warns us of a deeper truth, that any human contact where there is not fellowship can breed contempt and division. Sounds like our modern life, right? Our modern life is full of contact without fellowship. Like think of the phenomenon of people losing their ever-loving minds in retail stores, right? (laughs) Totally inconsequential stuff, and they just bleh, and they're yelling and berating at cashiers, baristas, and servers. In this paradigm, people are too often reduced to customer and employee. And you may already be thinking about social media. People talk about this all the time. When they're talking about the problems of social media, they just don't use that phrase, contact without fellowship. But That's what's going on, right? It's very difficult to engage in meaningful fellowship through the medium of social media. In fact, contact without fellowship is why people leave those platforms altogether. I mean, you probably are thinking of examples from your own life. Maybe this is even your experience, you know? So the solution, of course, is community. Contact with fellowship. (laughs) But as Christians, I don't think that we can just stop there, right? I can't just pack it up like, community, have some, you know? Because following Jesus is supposed to make us different from culture, right? We can't just stop there. So Jesus was countercultural right? Alyssa touched on this in her sermon two weeks ago. Joe has talked about it before. Following Jesus is supposed to make us countercultural too. Jesus modeled this upside down nature, the counterculture nature of God's kingdom with not only his behavior, but his words and teachings as well. In Matthew 5, for instance, there's a whole section where Jesus says over and over again, you have heard it said blank, but I say to you blank referring to both Hebrew scriptures as well as cultural traditions, Jesus reframes things for his listeners in an effort to better define the kingdom of God and to help people understand God's heart. There is a lot that could be said about this passage in the gospel, but one of the things that I think is happening is that Jesus is showing us a different, deeper paradigm. Jesus is telling us that in order for our lives and communities to flourish, our approach to relationships and our interactions with other people cannot be organized according to our culture's paradigms. We are called to a more intentional, compassionate, and thoughtful life. So the cultural traditions are saying, watch your behavior, but Jesus flips it, telling us to go deeper and to watch our thoughts. Now there are plenty of other examples of Jesus teaching about the upside down nature of God's kingdom. But what I wanna carry through here is this foundational idea that we are called to redefine things in this counterculture way. Bringing our lives into line with God's kingdom. And then this applies not only to our individual behaviors but also how we approach our participation in community. So not just individually but also how we approach our participation in our community. And that brings me then to the second point this morning, which is that I think we can look to the Trinity to help set a standard of definition, so to speak, right, for how we can order our church community. But before I go on, I want to take a moment to acknowledge that church community is, like, really hard. And church community has been harmful. And I know that I don't need to say a whole lot here, because Joe has just spent a few weeks talking through deconstruction, and that all includes acknowledging the spaces where church community has been harmful, traumatizing, disordered, and ungodly. We've done that. Thankfully, our model for healthy community is not humans. Our model is Jesus. And as I said, Jesus was countercultural, so his church is supposed to be too. And as I think that when we approach uh, community with a Trinitarian lens, we might discover a countercultural community that aligns with God's kingdom and God's heart. As I started off with this morning, God is revealed to us as Trinity. God eternally exists as a community of love. God isn't community part of the time, right? God exists as community. But I have to admit that trying to talk about the nature of God makes me feel like my brain is like imploding on itself or something because God is a holy other, right? We cannot fully understand God because we are human and God is God. And the fact that God exists outside of time, I don't know, it just like blows my mind. I can't even fathom that. You know, we just have no framework to even help make sense of that. And so what we've always tried to do is to find some language that can maybe sort of kind of accurately describe this magnificent creator, even though our words feel so feeble in the face of that. But out of everything I've read over the years, the human metaphor for Trinity that is both doctrinally sound and makes some sense to my finite mind, is that of a major triad, a musical chord. So those are three notes that are played at once, which are uniquely distinct and yet unified as one. Major triad. Come with me. (laughs) So I want you to listen. Three notes. me so, right? Tell me so, and then when you do it all together. Is everyone singing? Oh, I love that. So really take a moment and think about that. Uniquely distinct, and yet somehow, when they're played together, they come, you know, they're completely unified. So that's our Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, eternally connected, eternally communing, eternally loving, three in one. So that's what I thought of. When I thought of community, God exists as a community. But as I've been thinking about the nature of the Trinity and wondering what features could be both descriptive of our magnificent God, and then also prescriptive for us humans, I've come up with these characteristics. These three, vulnerability, commitment, and submission. These are true for the Trinity, where Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are existing eternally as one community with each person vulnerable to the other, committing to the other, and submitting to the other. And this can be prescriptive for human community. Critically important to keep in mind here is that these three characteristics exist in balance as the Trinity is eternally balanced as well. I see these three characteristics as sort of umbrella categories. Everything we value in human community, everything we believe is required for community to flourish, is correlated to or can be connected with one of these three characteristics. You think about it with me, right? Going back to my super scientific Facebook poll, people said things like empathy, trust, compassion. I would argue that those are tied to vulnerability. Others said action, presence, listening. I think those could be umbrellaed under commitment. I also think that those two characteristics don't need a whole lot of discussion or unpacking. Except to emphasize again that for a community to be healthy, all of these umbrella characteristics have to exist in balance. Which brings me to the third and most challenging, submission. You know, the clearest example of submission within the Trinity that we have in Scripture is arguably Jesus choosing to submit to the will of the Father and go to the cross. And I want to be so careful here because I know the word submission has been wielded as a weapon in our culture and in our churches. And it carries very valid baggage and triggers. And so my hope is that my small offering today can just be one more step in helping us towards healing and reconstruction. And I would like to therefore suggest a redefined view of submission within community that is Trinitarian in nature. So not twisted, not abusive, not domineering, but instead choosing, as Jesus did, to give space to the wisdom of another, committing to the whole. The vulnerability, the trust that comes from being fully known is a result of the commitment that has been made and proven. And so submission is not oppressive or harmful, but instead becomes a choice to give oneself and one's energy to the community. And I think perhaps viewing submission through this lens is to think of it as laying down my right to be right. In her book, Belonging, Bell Hooks said that to be real in community, differences must be acknowledged and embraced. We have to ask ourselves what we want. Do we want real community? Are we willing to be vulnerable? Will we choose to commit to each other? Differences must be acknowledged and embraced. Embraced. I see a call for submission there submitting, giving, setting down my pride to make intentional space for you so that we may embrace each other's differences. Here's another quote to help us as we redefine submission in our counterculture way. From M. Scott Peck in his book, The Different Drum, Community Making and Peace. It's hard to see, sorry. It's hard to get all on one slide, but I'll read it. Because a community includes members with many different points of view and the freedom to express them, it comes to appreciate the whole of a situation. An important aspect of the realism of community deserves mention, humility. While rugged individualism predisposes one to arrogance, the soft individualism of community leads to humility. Begin to appreciate each other's gifts, and you begin to appreciate your own limitations. Witness others share their brokenness, and you will become able to accept your own inadequacy and imperfection. Be fully aware of human variety, and you will recognize the interdependency of humanity. Interdependency. That's Trinitarian community among humans, isn't it? And I think this is why we get so upset by dis- disenfranchisement. You know, we feel injustice in our bones because we were made to embrace marginalized. Right? We were made for a just community. We were created to exist in community and made to fight for the health of that community. And We were made with a keen awareness of when our reflected Trinitarian community becomes off balance, too. I mean, I'm sure we can look back in each of our own stories and use some of this Trinitarian language community of vulnerability, commitment, submission to name some of the things that we've suffered. I mean, do you know what I mean? Places where there was maybe too much focus on commitment or groups where there was not enough vulnerability or maybe instances when submission was demanded. None of that aligns with God's kingdom. So my hope today is that we can move forward with greater clarity, better able to recognize healthy community, maybe put some new language to it, and then choose to step into it because community is not just the word that we use to describe a collection of people with some things in common or our local library, right? It's what our souls are crying out for. And Trinitarian community can exist wherever we share life together, wherever we are building trust, embracing each other in humility and allowing one another to influence each other's lives. We are made for meaningful, healthy community. And thankfully, God has given us a model to help us meet those needs. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for today. I thank you for these people, for this community. Lord, I thank you so much for this church. I thank you for their commitment, for their desire to be together, to move through life together, to learn about each other. God, I thank you for the spirit of love that is in this place. And I pray, Lord, that as we move forward today and tomorrow into the rest of our week, that we would pause to listen for you, to look for you. Please remind us of who you are and how we can live in light of your glory, living into the truth of how we were created, the love for which we were created.